Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads. Once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. As always, I highly encourage you to go check out any previous episodes you may have missed. Episode 49, I was joined by the Detroit Pistons historian Keith Black Trudeau to talk about the Till era. Episode 50, I had the pleasure of being joined by a couple Pistons fans, Wes Davenport and at Pistons Fanalist, to talk about player expectations and what ifs. And just a few days ago, I was joined by Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report for episode 51 to get his thoughts on the Pistons. And the list of amazing guests just continues on today, as I am joined by Anthony Bellino from the Michigan Sports Network, X and O's Bros, and BCSN Sports. Anthony, welcome to Motor City Hoops, and thank you for joining me. Hey, man, it's great to be uh, great to be with you. Thank you for uh, the invitation to come on and talk a little Pistons basketball. I love the fact uh, that you had Keith on because anybody who follows Pistons Twitter uh, and follows Keith, like uh, the amount of Grant Hill content that he just flooded the Pistons Twitterverse with over, I don't know, it was about like a month long span was awesome, right? I like the fact that we have somebody uh, that we can kind of turn to there in Pistons Twitter that is kind of a historian, just has a random collection of old VHS tapes, man. It's great. Uh, So I really, uh, I really enjoy him and I, I really enjoyed that episode. Yeah, Keith is amazing, man. And uh, I've met him through t- just through Twitter. And I brought him on because I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but like I'm, I'm kind of a, I think we talked about this. I, I've just kind of joined Pistons World. It hasn't even been 12 months. You know, it's kind of an interesting story how I started getting on this podcast and everything. And so I literally just wanted to know more about Pistons hitter- history, Anthony. And so I was like, Keith's my guy. So I brought him on for an episode. It turned into a two-part episode and we still didn't get through it all. So I had brought him back to talk specifically about the Till era. But you're right. He's such a it's a great ad, uh, person to have in, in Pistons world and Pistons Twitter and everything else to, you know, with, with all the insights he has. Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful asset for all of us, too, because I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the, you know, especially in the sports world. It, it literally is, you know, what have you done uh, for me lately? Right. And I think that a lot of times we forget uh, how good, especially in the you know, prior to the social media realm how good a lot of these the these teams were and, and how good a lot of you know former players were we think that the latest is the greatest and, and that happens to all of us right because the eras are different the style of the styles of play are different the rules are, are much different and we just uh, you know we need people every once in a while to remind us of how good some of those guys from the past were Absolutely. And I, it's been great for me. I think any Pistons fan, any NBA fan, like it's just great content. It's great stuff. And as you say, to really remember how great those players were and those teams and just how the, the history of the organization. Um, but on this episode, we're going to continue to talk about some player expectations that I didn't get to on episode 50 and go through a segment I'm calling, quote unquote, the biggest that will help us navigate some questions surrounding the current and future roster and finish off the episode going around the NBA with a former Pistons flavor. 
But to start us off, Anthony, I think you're going to be excited about this. We're going to talk about a player we both love. I found this out when you invited me on your amazing show. I appreciated that so much. Let's start off talking about Hamadou Diallo and what do you like about his game and excites you most? Hammy, Bryce, uh, <laughs> both of us love him. And I, I think that what's really interesting about the way that the Pistons roster is constructed right now is it feels like there's a log jam of guys between like 6'5 and 6'9, right? It's like, you know, 95% of the roster, which I don't know uh, really what what that looks like across the rest of the league. But I think Hamadou Diallo, what he provides to this team, obviously the relationship he has with Troy Weaver and, and Troy being instrumental during his time uh, at OKC and working with the Thunder and seeing Hamadou there. But Hamadou, I, I really do believe, especially you know at just 23 years old, at 6'5 and 200 pounds, he, he brings in another you know, very active wing presence, a very athletic wing presence. And I think that one of the crazy things about Hamadou Diallo is, is that a lot of times, you know, you'll hear this in like military tactics. People will say, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? He looks so smooth on the court and his change of pace to get from one gear to the next, you really don't even realize that it's happening. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's at the basket, right? I think he provides a really good option to have another athlete coming in and with that second unit that can provide a spark. He can get to the basket he can finish at the rim he's got incredible bounce and I like what he provides on the defensive side uh, as well just because of you know you look at the size and the speed and the athleticism of him he's going to be able to make a lot of plays that you know other guys won't necessarily be able to because he's so athletically gifted so I really like uh, I, I like Hamadou Diallo a lot I think he's kind of an interesting character and an average of 5.2 million a year for a couple of years I mean, you you look at that and it's just like I to me, that's a that's a cap number that's very friendly uh, for this team. And I think that will I think that he will actually outperform uh, his actual cap hit. No, I agree. I think we talked about that last episode with Jake Fisher and talked about how maybe the market didn't materialize for him the way maybe him and his agent thought it was going to. And it, it worked out in the Pistons favor because. I, I would have brought him back for a lot more than that, to be honest with you, Anthony, and I probably wouldn't be a very good GM, but to bring him back on five a year is just incredible. But you brought up something in his game, that smoothness, and anytime somebody talks about him playing under control or whatever, like I feel like he does. Like I feel like he's one of those athletes that almost looks like he's, I don't want to say he's not trying, but you know what I mean? Like It just doesn't look like he's playing that hard because he's just so fluid and smooth and it looks so good, and I don't know if that's why I enjoy watching him play so much, but would you agree? Like, I just feel like he he has he's just so smooth. I think you said it. The quote you used was perfect. Yeah, I I really do. I I mean you it's not that he's not playing hard. It's just that when somebody can do something, it makes it look easy. You know, a lot of times for, for people like us, we, we look at it and we see guys struggling and really sweating and, and working really hard. It's not to say that he doesn't work hard, but sometimes, you know, guys who are that athletic that can do things that normal people can't, sometimes we take that, I think, a little bit for granted. And, you know, one of the things that I think is a little bit underrated, it, he is a, he's a hunter for a rebound. He will go up yes. and he will, he will track it. And he will do that on the offensive side and the defensive side. He's very good. On that second touch, uh, you know, if he's able to get his own rebound, if he's in close, he's he's got incredible bounce to be able to get up off the floor again uh, after the first miss and contest for that rebound, try to get it back and try to try to make a play. His athleticism and his speed, it just doesn't look like he's moving fast, but he is because people really, you know, have a difficult time trying to stay in front of him. And I think that 
if you if you look at the way that this roster's sort of constructed and, and where they want to you know use Hamadou Diallo, it's not more than likely going to be in the first unit unless there's a crazy amount of injuries, right? But to be able to bring that in off the bench and then whatever they want to do and tinker with at the guard position and knowing that you have Hamadou coming in with that second group that, you know, if you look at his numbers, if you're providing an average of double figures, I I mean I don't really know, you know, if you're and if you're able to do it in twenty, twenty five minutes a night. Like the, you can't put enough emphasis on having a quality player like that. I, I'm I'm so glad you brought up the second jump, Anthony, because I agree so like a hundred percent. Like that's one of the best things. That's one of the biggest things I should say that popped off to me whenever he came over from Oklahoma City was that second jump. Like at times he tro- he has a little trouble controlling his body on drives, but he misses and he's so explosive off the floor on that second jump. And then the defensive boards. I, I think he's a top five, um, top ten wing rebounder in the league. And you know we have two of those guys, him and Josh Jackson, who we'll talk about in a second. I want to talk, let's just real quick before we move on to the next player. What do you think the long-term potential? So you've talked about, you know, a second unit guy, at least for this season. Do you see him as part of this, as part of this young core that Troy Weaver has accumulated? Do you think he's here for five, eight years and maybe even eventually become someone that they rely on in the starting lineup? I think that he has the potential to do that, but I don't know if if we'll necessarily see that. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing either. I think that one of the big things for this Pistons team is everyone has to be very comfortable in their own particular role. And when you when you understand what your role is to the team and how you can contribute and you you mentioned you know talking a little bit about Josh Jackson kind of the same thing like if you know what your your role is to this team like we remember if you if you turn back to bad boys part two right the going to work pistons guys remember Mehmet Okur right we and Antonio McDice like we we remember you know the random players like Chucky Atkins like we'll remember these people because of what they provide to the team and I think that Detroit is a franchise that was built upon this idea of hey, we're, it's going to take five guys moving in in sync at all times, and the team goal will always be greater than the individual goals. And and when the team is winning, when the team is having success, whenever there's team success, there will be individual success as well. And you look at the back to back, you know, finals MVPs between Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, and you look at all the integral pieces on those teams, like Vinny the Microwave Johnson. You look at uh, the bad boy Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, you know, Dennis Rodman when he was when he was there. It's it, it's that team concept. So if Hamadou Diallo knows what his role is and really accepts that and buys into that role, whatever they want that to be, and if it's that second unit, like hey, we need an athletic wing, there might be a really good matchup for him defensively that they might have to throw him in the starting lineup because they like what he might be able to provide as long as he buys into that yeah I could see him being here uh, for five plus years and I definitely think that that connection and relationship with Troy Weaver I, I really think that that matters and I think that under Dwayne Casey if you play hard and you play to win you will play I, I really I really do and I think that he's kind of shown that where the hey, practice time the things that we don't see on the television all of those things matter to Dwayne Casey and how he kind of manages his minutes. I think we saw it a lot with Sekou. Nah, I, I love that. Like You're getting me excited here about Hamadi. <laughs> this is why I wanted to bring you on because I know we both both love Hamid Diallo. And it's just, I like the thought. Like You're kind of convincing me here. Like I thought maybe eventually you'd have to come into a starting lineup to be worth the trade and, and, and that would be the future. But you know, having a guy like that in your second unit that, that can be, he's switchable. I think he can fill a couple different roles. And like you say, if there's a nice matchup for him. So I, I really hope there's a long, long-term future for him in Detroit. I'm really excited. Obviously, you're really excited and high on him as well. Um, but let's talk about somebody else. We talked about Josh Jackson. So I'm going to skip over um, Sadiq Bey here for a second, and then we'll come 
back to Sadiq, but we, we brought up Josh Jackson and there's, to me, I don't know what you think, Anthony, there's a little bit of a hole at the four in the second unit. So I want to start off there with Josh Jackson. It's been talked about uh, that maybe he could fill that void in the second unit. Do you see him as a possible four man or just what is his role on the team, you know, with a guy like Hami Diallo already here? You know, I, I, I would really like to be able to sit down in a room uh, with Josh Jackson and just talk to him. I would love to get inside his, like, what does he see himself as? And then how do the Pistons, what, what do they see him as and how do they want to use him? Because he's very big, you know, he's listed as a shooting guard, but he's six, eight, like that, that's really, I mean, that's monstrous size right now. You think about, you know, MJ was what, six, six, like, yeah. you know, it, it's in the league is getting taller. And as the league gets taller and everybody who is tall, now everybody is very skilled, right? It's very random to run into a player who's pretty one dimensional. Typically it's guys like what Dwight Howard, but if you're, you know, if you're a six, eight, six, nine, six, 10, you're, you're talking about massive humans now that have guard skills. And I, wonder what Josh Jackson wants to be and I, I wonder what the organization wants him to be as well because when you when you start to take a look at okay how would you manipulate the lineup a little bit because we're just I, I feel like this team's a little thin uh, on the front line I really like you know the addition of Cade Cunningham is fantastic and Killian Hayes you know we didn't get to see a whole lot of him uh, but I you know we're, we're definitely going to see more of him uh, this season I think that you know he and uh, the way that Cade kind of presents himself as a team first kind of leader guy I think that those two will really mesh well what is Sadiq Bey is he is he a small forward in, in Jeremy Grant as well like you I, I feel like we have so many different guys that you can kind of plug and play and do you know kind of what you want but they go out and they get a guy in Trey Lyles you know out of Kentucky who's a veteran guy who you know let's let's be honest he's he's a big body but they they need more of that size so I think that if you move Josh Jackson and play him more uh, at the four position there I think you're you're giving up a little bit I know there's only one inch between he and Trey Lyles but Josh seems to bring that more of a wing guard mentality uh, and not necessarily the the typical you know four man or power forward or however you'd want to you know describe uh, that that guy and as that as that position continues to evolve right began with Chris Weber and, and Kevin Garnett guys that were very big but very skilled from the perimeter and now you look at the four man as just basically an extension of the wing so it's like everybody plays four out one in basketball and the traditional centers kind of gone to the way uh, the way of the wind as well so for Josh Jackson you know do you play him at the four do you play him at the two do you play him at the three I think versatility is job security I think that you know someone with his skill set can play a lot of different positions but if you're playing him at the four much like when you're playing Jeremy Grant at the four uh, and, and if you throw in Ahamadou Diallo if you have Cade Cunningham like you're it's a it's a relatively kind of small ball sort of lineup so I also think that Josh Jackson's minutes are very much matchup oriented no, that makes sense. I think one thing you brought up as you talked kind of through those different players is I think Troy Weaver really values and and, and the, the game of basketball has gone this way anyway, but guys that can play multiple positions, right? You talked about Josh Jackson playing multiple positions, Hami playing multiple positions, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, et cetera. And, and I just think that that's something that Troy Weaver has really shown that he values is guys that he can play as a three or a four or a two or a three or a four or a five. And so I think, like you said, it, the more a guy can do that, he can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions, that he's going to have a chance to stay on the roster. So before we go, go to Sadiq Bey, who you mentioned, and kind of falls into this conversation as well. Real quick, Josh Jackson is an unrestricted free agent after this season. Do you think he returns to Detroit after this season? Oh, man, that's tough. Oh, my goodness. You said real quick, too. So uh, I would say 
I would say yes uh, that he okay. would. If I had to, fl- if I had to flip a coin, I I would because he's still going to give you double digit average points in, in his minutes. And once again, it's it's you know, does he buy into that role of being you know a role player on this team? And and how do how do all the pieces of this puzzle kind of come together? So right now, as of today, I would say yes. If he if he's really playing well in the front half of the season, that might look that that could potentially be a trade ship for this team moving on. And that's a little tease to later in the show, so we'll save that one. But Sadiq Bey, let's move to him because he's another guy that I think we could see staggered minutes and maybe get some some time with the second unit playing the four. So I want to ask you about Sadiq Bey because I feel like he, at least in the, the Pistons Twitterverse that I conversate with, he's kind of become a polarizing player in terms of not that people, nobody thinks he's not a good player. Everybody thinks he's a really good player, Anthony, no doubt about it. But I think there's some guy, people who see him as like solid three and D guy, maybe a borderline all-star, definitely an NBA starter, but not this like Chris Middleton level player. And then there's others that see that ceiling for him. Um, I think the listeners know where I stand on that. I kind of lean more towards the three and D solid NBA starter. Where do you lie with Sadiq Bey and his ceiling? Can I tell you how like pleasantly surprised I was when they they draft Sadiq Bay out of Villanova and it's like oh okay all right that's it's an interesting choice like oh, we'll see we'll see what they're trying to do here and then watching him play it's like I you watch Sadiq Bay and it's like how good can he be right with the right pieces around him and the right people that are in place already on this roster and I immediately think about a guy like Cade Cunningham and how many opportunities that is going to open up for a guy uh, like Sadiq Bay. I don't know if he's an NBA all-star like he made the all-rookie squad and that was fantastic considering you know you're thrust into this lineup he is a little bit older which I I actually do like I like the guys you know the guys aren't afraid to stay in college for a couple of years and and learn you know that everything that college you know hoops kind of teaches you I know it's a shorter schedule and the G League Ignite might be a cool option for the you know the blue chip caliber player but for a guy like Sadiq Bey who enters as an adult basically not necessarily as one of these kids he averages 12 points a game you know four Four and a half rebounds, plays just shy of 30 minutes, shoots it pretty well. 40% from the field, 38% from three. You know, it's it's not that's like, yeah, if you're near the 40 mark, like, yeah, you think about it like that's that's a pretty that's a pretty nice option to have. And he's a good free throw shooter as well. So I don't know if he's Chris Middleton, like I don't know if Sadiq Bey will make an all star team. But I do think that we'll see an improved version of him this year based upon how much better the roster will be. Now that, you know, the East is going to be tough in general. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, fans really need to, and, and I'm one of those, I need to talk myself and temper <laughs> yeah, my own expectations. Yeah. Um, 3D guy, yes. All-star, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because if you look at the the small forward position across the league, the guys that are the all-star level caliber players seem to have that next level athleticism. I don't know if Sadiq has that yet or if it's or if we've seen it yet out of him. No, that's why I I do think that that could hold him back just a little bit. And and again, I think a lot of people take this um, this side whenever you have this take I guess I don't feel like it's a hot take but you have this stance on Sadiq Bey and they take it as a negative and I, I hope the listeners don't take it as a negative by no means are we saying he's going to be a bad player or not live up to expectations anything like that he's going to be a really really good player and I just see kind of that borderline all-star right there a really good starter and can be a really good starter on hopefully what will eventually be a championship level team I want to ask one more about thing about Sadiq Bey before we move on Anthony though and that's you know Dwayne Casey had a quote about him being a little bit of an offensive initiator is that a part of his game 
obviously, you know, he's still young enough to improve. Is that something you expect to see from him this year or really want to see from him in terms of like using a ball screen, maybe pulling down a defensive rebound and going in transition? Um, do you expect to see that? And, and do you think we need to with guys like Cade and Killian already on the roster? Well, for, for this team, when you talk about like the, the defensive rebounding and kind of leading the charge in transition, I want everybody, I mean, outside of Beef Stew, uh, and that's not a knock on Beef Stew, but you know, it's, you, you want your guards and your wings. If you can get the ball and push it up the floor and catch the, and catch the defense on their heels in transition, I think that's a win. I think that's, a, that's definitely a piece of his game uh, that, that I look forward to this year. What was Tayshawn Prince, right? Right, Tayshaun Prince, polarizing sort of figure because Detroiters love him. Uh, I think most NBA fans respect him, but he wasn't going to be that guy that was going to jump off the screen to do you know amazing things on the offensive side of the basketball every single night. Right? I kind of feel like is Sadiq Bay in sort of that same kind of category where does he need to necessarily initiate the offense when you have Killian and Cade uh, running the show? I, I don't think so, dude. And I don't want him to stand in the corner and turn into like a Kevin Love type of player where it's like, oh, yeah, he's just over there and he's open. Kick it to him. And, you know, he bases his whole game. Like, I want him to be very much involved in the offense a lot like he was this past year. And if they can do that, you know, I'm one of those big believers. Move the ball and move without it. If you do those two things, you're going to find yourself in successful spots. I see Sadiq in that that same sort of like philosophy, if you will. Like, yeah, if the, if the screen's coming for Sadiq, it's something that you know, other teams are going to have to guard because now you're adding more and more talent around them. Also, Jeremy Grant's numbers crazy last year, might be even more efficient this year. I agree. I think I think we're going to see another level from him. I think Cade, you've brought it up a couple times. I know we're not talking a lot about Cade on this episode because, you know, as with everybody, there's we've spent months talking about Cade, but I think he's going to make everybody better. I love what you brought up. Whoever gets the rebound, other than probably Beef Stew, let's go. Like even Kelly Olynyk, I think, can do it a little bit. But it, whether it's Hami, whether it's Killian, whether it's Cade, Sadiq, get a rebound, let's go. I think this team could really play fast and play in transition. I think it would benefit a lot of their playing style. Um, I brought up Kelly Olenek just real quick. Um, what did you think about that signing, Anthony? Did you like it? Um, essentially, I thought it was a move of, you know, essentially trading Anth uh, Mason Plumley for Kelly Olenek. Did you see that as an upgrade or at least a player that fits this roster better? Uh, upgrade offensively just because he can he can do more from shooting the basketball than what Mason Plumley could. And when we signed when the Pistons signed Mason Plumley for the amount of money, I was like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like the same Mason Plumley. And after like the first three weeks of the season, I, I ate every word that I ever said. And I said, hey, I, I loved it because I love what he brought on the defensive side. He was that traditional sort of big man kind of style who could stretch it to 15 if you need it. Kelly Olenek to me is he doesn't bring the same on the defensive side, but on the offensive side, he offers you a little bit more because he can shoot it a little bit better. Now, I don't need Ke Kelly Olenek hanging out you know, shooting, you know, five, six, seven threes a game. I don't know if that's necessarily a recipe uh, for success, but you saw last year with Houston when he got moved from Miami, the more opportunities that he had, he got more minutes. And with those, with those minutes and with those opportunities, guy was averaging 19 a game. Uh, he just doesn't bring the same maybe defensive prowess that Mason Plumlee brought, but he's still a decent rebounder. Uh, and he's a big man that can draw your big man out because now they have to respect it more uh, because he can shoot it. Yes, yeah, spacing. Uh, the spacing issue, or the, what I thought was a spacing issue last last year season for the Pistons, I don't think is going to be near as big this year. A couple more guys before we move on to the next segment, and that's kind of the vets. So the Corey Joseph, the Rodney Magruder. Magruder. Um, you know, it was kind of reported that Magruder essentially got brought brought back because he was a veteran. You know, Corey Joseph, a vet point guard, maybe to to be you know show some leadership to those young guys, Killing Hayes, Cade Cunningham. Do you? 
Do you value what those guys brought back? Did you like those moves? And how much playing time do you actually see um, happening for those two players? Yeah, from a PT standpoint, I don't see a whole lot just because um, uh, of the positional depth that they already have um, there in the backcourt. And they're going to want their young guys to get as many minutes as possible. But I think that with uh, with Kojo and, and Rodney Magruder, I think that this is really one of those, you know, hey, Rodney's what, 30 years old, which, you know, in sports you know, terms, that guy's like, you know, take him out back. Right. And I'm over the age of 30. <laughs> and every time I hear it, I'm like, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I played. 20 minutes at the wreck and all my all my every limb I have hurts. Uh, so but with, there are a lot of things that happen that we don't get to see. And if uh, Rodney Magruder and Corey Joseph, if these two guys in, in you know, Corey Joseph is a guy who began his career uh, in San Antonio, right? Then he was in Toronto. He was at the Pacers for a little bit. Uh, Sacramento. He's kind of seen everything. Right. So you think about bringing that sort of perspective to a film session. You think about having another quote unquote coach, if you will, on the bench. And I just don't know if you can have enough of those guys on a roster that's filled with as many young guys as possible, because I look for Jeremy Grant to be a leader, but I need him to score, right? Like that's what I, I need Jeremy Grant to worry about, you know, getting wins is what I need, especially for somebody like me who thinks that they could potentially, you know, going into this off season, I was like, yeah, Pistons could be fighting for the playoffs. And now the rest of the East caught up and I'm like, Oh, well maybe I need to stop talking about that and back the train up a little bit, but I don't think you can have enough guys who are on your roster to help coach up your young players that have to play Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham. They have to play. And so we need Corey Joseph and Rodney Magruder. If I'm on the staff, I need those guys to be able to, when, when minutes are exchanging, they got to be able to have a conversation on the bench if they see something, because there's something about experience and learning to win as a young player that I thought that this team was on the brink of a lot of times in games last year, but that fourth quarter and that learning on how to win and make the winning plays necessary I think that's what Rodney Magruder and Corey Joseph bring. I think they bring that element of experience to hopefully uh, help out in a film session, help out on the bench, help out throughout practice and work on the development of the guys that they know have to be the key to this franchise. I love it, Anthony. You, I wrote down two words as you were talking about that. You had said film, so I wrote that one down, and then underneath it I wrote bench, you know, on the bench, and then you said that one as well. And I do think, I know it's hard as a fan, and I, I don't mean to say this the wrong way, but, you know, if you haven't played the game at a very high level or played it a lot, maybe you have a little bit harder time understanding this, but, you know, th that stuff is so vital whenever having somebody that can show you the ropes. because. I think a lot of people think when you say film session, you just sit down and watch a game and that's not how it is. Like there's a, there's an art, there's a specific way to watch film uh, and even to watch the game from the bench and to study a scouting report and all those things. And yeah, you have a coach that tells you, but I think we all know that, that sometimes we don't want to listen to our coach. We'd rather listen to a peer or uh you know, a veteran, an older player, you know? And so I think those guys, I do, you know, there's 15 spots on the roster. Is it really that bad to have two guys on the roster that that are vets that can really help? And here's the other thing. I'm with you. I, I feel like I have to temper my expectations about the win total this year. But if we want to go get to a play-in game, there may be some nights where the youngsters need a rest or tweak an ankle or whatever, and you need vets who are ready and understand how to keep themselves ready every single night. And a guy like Corey Joseph, a guy like Roddy Magruder may be able to give us two games in the middle of February and come in and be ready to play and be solid. So I think those guys really provide value to this team. Bryce, you brought up something really interesting there about watching film, right? And you're, you're D1 Hooper, right? You know, you know, you know the game of basketball. You've, you've seen it. D differently than the average the average fan has and I think that 
we all would be well suited in both football and in basketball, right? Um, and even in hockey because they watch film as well and they do they do a ton of tape study. Baseball is a little bit different, but we would as a as a fan base uh, across these sports whatever your team is, it would be so good for you to sit down and watch what a film session, what all it is entailed in that, you know, college offense is so structured, right? And if not a, then B, because this is what we're doing. We have a shot clock. And I think a lot of times people get lost in the NBA game because they don't realize that by the time you get the ball over half court on uh, inbounding the ball, at the base time left. you got like 17 or 18 seconds. And that means you are going to have what, maybe one or two ball actions uh, that are going to get that ball from point A to point B. And then it's all on on that ball handler, uh, if not A, then B, if not B, then C, if not C, then D. And then if not that, well, somebody's got to chuck because we're running out of time. And I think that it all happens so fast that people don't necessarily, they can't necessarily digest or understand everything that has happened. Like, why is that guy standing over there? He's over there for a very specific reason, because if the ball moves three different ways, he's going to be open, right? And I just think a lot of that gets lost within the film session from a fan base standpoint where they watch a game. You know, they think that everything is supposed to be very structured like it would be, you know, for their CYO. Like, why aren't they running an offense? They are. You missed the play. No, I I agree. And until I really started breaking down games, I didn't realize how much some of these NBA teams were running sets. And, you know, almost every possession you're seeing something, it's just it's got to be a quick hitter. You can't run through, you know, like what I ran in college. We were that offense you're talking about using up the, the shot clock and multiple actions and counters and everything. And And I don't mean to say this like I'm better than anybody else, but because I wouldn't know how to watch film if it hadn't been for playing division one and coach Jones. And like, it was so like broken down and, and he taught me how to watch film and how to study film and how to scout film and all those things. And you you just need that. It's so important. And so I, I think it is hard to see sometimes with the NBA game, but let's move ahead to the next segment. And I'm calling this the biggest quote unquote, the biggest. So each one of these kind of questions, I guess we'll start off with that. So we're going to start off with this one, Anthony. I want, I want your answer on what is the biggest short-term need on the roster? So we've been talking this episode. We think we can, you know, make a run for the play-in game. What what is the what would be the hole or what is this roster missing that may keep us from getting that? Oh, I want the seven-footer, man. I can't lie. I, I do. I want I want somebody like a Kofi Coburn. Uh, I know that it, it, I, in Evan Mobley, and he was in the draft. And I'm glad we got Cade. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know go back and play you know armchair GM here. But I think they're missing that large individual. They, they need that big body who, you know, head to head against a Rudy Gobert, for example, that this guy can handle his own. They don't make a whole lot of them out there. That's why they're not all over the place. But I just think that we're a little bit still undersized in the front court from the traditional sense of the, the power forward and the center. I know that, you know, we're going more towards positionless basketball. But hey, if you're seven feet, you're seven one, you got some size, you can rebound, you can protect the rim. I think that helps everybody across the board. I think that uh, Isaiah Stewart at like maybe a four position there, the, the traditional power forward, if you will, I think it helps him out a lot. So for me, I would like to see the Pistons at some point be able to add somebody with some massive size. So, and I want to say like, you know, I feel like Troy Weaver's obviously overhauled this roster and I don't think it's a knock on him because he doesn't have that guy yet. Like he may just not have presented himself and he's had so many other holes to fix. But let me ask you this then, Anthony, with that said, do you think Troy Weaver actually values that position or do you think he just hasn't had the chance to fill that hole yet? I don't know if the, the, 
the chance has really been there. You know, and you look at the draft and it's like, well, what about Evan Mobley? He was seven one. Yeah, but he's he's very much more like a Kevin Durant body type, right? And and, and he does a lot and he's a big body and that's great. But you know, being seven one and two hundred and ten pounds, nah, we need somebody with like two forty, right? You need somebody with a little a little beef, if you will. Uh, and I think that he's had that. Like if you go back to OKC and his time there, you know, they had a guy like Steven Adams, right? You get that big body guy. I don't need you to do a whole lot. I need you to I need you to defend really well. Hopefully you're good in the pick and roll because everybody's you know, working off the ball screens now. And they, they, if you have a big man, they want to get him as far away from the basket as possible. So I think that it, it's a little bit different as far as the evolution of the big man. But I don't think there's really been an, an ample opportunity for him to add it. I, do I think that he values it? I do just because of some of the guys that have been on some of his previous teams. Uh, but I just don't think that there's been you know somebody there that they can readily add because, like you said, they had other positions. They needed to address the wing. They needed to address the guard. And they've done that so far. So I have to bring this name up then. Is Luca Garza that guy? I know he's only 6'10, like he's not that seven footer, but, and he's lost some weight. But so is, is Luca Garza a little more in that mold then? Oh, I, I, I mean, he was so tough at Iowa. Like, I watched him drop 50 points right in front of me, like in my face the entire game uh, at, at Chrysler Center. It was crazy. I, I really like his game and I like the ability the his ability to stretch. I think that we probably fell in love with him. And obviously the organization did too, because you know, they signed him and you know his his dad Frank has been very open. Like we gotta earn a roster spot. Like that's what we're worried about. Everybody's talking about being an NBA player. Like, no, we gotta earn a spot here. And he'll probably spend some time in the G League and bounce back and forth. Could he be that guy? I think maybe at some point as he continues to, you know, sort of learn the NBA game. I think that he definitely shined in the summer league, but I think it's also very important to realize that yeah, you're not gonna see a whole lot of you know quality you know starters in the summer league it just doesn't happen like that's to get new guys acclimated young guys acclimated uh you know with the nba and, and get him a little bit of a run so could he be that guy i think so because i think that he has that desire to be right he wants to be the best that he can be and i think that you know he's not worried about individual stats i mean he can go get him if he needs to uh i but at the same time it's like nah he's he's a team first kind of guy so eventually i think down the road he could definitely be a part of this uh, part of this organization moving forward Definitely, definitely. So let's go to the next one and is the biggest long-term need on the roster. So this can be, you know, like we're talking about, maybe I don't know what your feelings are, but, you know, can we be a championship contender in the next five years, you know, or, or at least really competing in the playoffs as a, a top four, top six team, something in that. What is the biggest long-term need that, that needs to be filled still? So you said that needs to be filled. Uh, but when I see long-term need, they need Kate Cunningham to turn into the guy that they expect him to be. <laughs> like that, that, like that to me. Like they need, they need that guy, right? And every team has them. The the Pistons of the past, they had a couple of different guys that were able to, you know, m- you know, make things happen. And they had, you know, Hall of Fame caliber players. They just maybe didn't stand out as much. Like we don't talk about Isaiah, like we talk about Magic, right? But I don't know why we don't. But we just we just don't because those teams were built so well. But I think this team needs Cade Cunningham to be the Cade Cunningham that they expect him to be I would also like to see them at some point I know I don't want to you know I don't want to write off Killian Hayes too early uh, but I think to have a point guard uh, that develops into a legitimate every night starter this guy is a number one point guard he is you know vying for an all-star spot I think that that's definitely a need too because they just haven't had that since Chauncey no that's interesting that you said that because I talk about this team needing that number two option behind Cade but I always try to preface it by saying like what you said if Cade doesn't turn into the superstar that number one guy face of the franchise a lot of these other things don't matter like that's the number one thing that has to happen so I actually can 
completely agree with you. I just, I, I, so I love that you went that way with that answer. So the next one, you kind of brought this up. This, this could play in a little bit with Killian Hayes. Who is the biggest threat to be an unexpected starter? So if there's one of these guys, so when I'm saying expected starters, I'm saying Killian, Cade, Sadiq, Jeremy Grant. And then at the five, you know, it's Olenek or Stewart. I don't know what you would say you, ex- who you would say you expect to start there. So um, maybe it is one of those guys, or is there someone else on the roster that maybe you could see pushing out a Killian Hayes? I don't. And I think that that, that might, um, if, unless they were somehow, if, if Cade actually pushes him out just because Cade's playing that well with the ball in his hands and every, I think we're going to, I think we might even see this as well. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball here, but if Cade is so good with the basketball in his hands, they're like, we cannot afford to, you know, not have him, you know, running this for us. And then you start to shuffle it. So you move Cade to point guard and then maybe, maybe you move a Sadiq Bay right? Or maybe it's Jeremy Grant, right? Into the shooting guard position. And you kind of start to tinker with those two a little bit to open up that front court space where uh, maybe, maybe a guy like Kelly Olenek starts next to Isaiah Stewart and Isaiah Stewart plays the, plays the four as everybody kind of bumps up that roster uh, a little bit and kind of slides one position uh, up the chain of command, if you will. So if if you were Killian uh, at the one and maybe Jeremy was the two, maybe Sadiq was the three, Beef Stew was the four and Kelly Olenek was the five, but maybe this is the biggest need going back to the last question is that when you look at the roster top to bottom okay if you take Killian Cade Sadiq Jeremy and uh, Beef Stew out of the equation is there a guy that you could pinpoint on this roster that yeah that guy can go start on any team in the league that might be the biggest need is having that quality depth there to where yeah we have a guy in the waiting who's going to give you 25 minutes a night and he can give you 20 points on any given and any given day of the week I don't know if we have that so let me ask you this. Let's, let's say the scenario plays out you talked about. Let's say we want Cade to be the, the, the point guard. He, we, he has to have the ball in his hands. That's what we decide by the all-star break. What would you think about moving Frank Jackson into the two spot? I like Frank Jackson a lot. I don't know if it's the Duke connection or what it is, but I really uh, like Frank Jackson and what he provided to this team. And there, you talk about a guy just kind of understanding the opportunity uh, that he has in buying into it. I like that a lot. Is he a is he a is he a starting point guard? Is he a starting two? Uh, I don't I don't know. It's I mean it's a guy who's you know played in over I don't know 150 games in his career and has started maybe a handful of them, maybe 20. Um, you know, basically under under certain circumstances. So could he do that? Sure. I think that I think that the Duke level of intelligence is definitely there with Frank Jackson. I loved watching him play last year and I thought to myself like this is this is a guy who's, you know, surprising that probably, you know, should be in the the 20 to 25 minute range for this club. So, now that you said that how much you love Frank Jackson, also all the listeners know why you and I get along so well, Anthony, and uh why Oh man, yeah, I love Hami Diallo. I love Frank Jackson. So that that that's why Anthony and I get along so well. Um, for the listeners, is I feel like as you've talked through some of these things, like when you were talking about Hami's second jump and the film breakdown and some of this stuff, as as we've gone through topics, I'm like, man, like uh, I, I feel like I see a lot of the same things Anthony does. So it, it's it's increasing my confidence as a Pistons fan that I'm seeing a lot of the same things you are. So. Um, you're talking about that bench threat, so I want to ask this. Who's the biggest scoring threat off the bench? Who do you think is going to lead this team in scoring um, in the second unit? Oh, man, second unit, best uh, leading score in the second unit. So, And, and for this, and I think Isaiah Stewart's going to start. So you can, uh, you can have Kelly Olenek, depending on who you think is going to start. Oh, I, you know, I think it, I think we'd, we'd go back to, uh, depending on the minutes played, I, th- I think it could be Hamadou. I think it could be Josh Jackson. 
Um, I, I really do. I think that those guys uh, with the opportunities, they're going to have to make the most of it in that in that second group. And I think that they know that depending, you know, on how on how much these young guys get to play. I think that both of those guys are aware like, hey, it, it, when it's when it's our time to go in, it's it's our time now. Like there there is no tomorrow. You know, we're guys that are a little bit, you know, quote unquote veteran, a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. This team is counting on us that when these kids come off the court, we got to be ready to go. So I could see one of those two kind of taking the reins uh, really. And, and, and I'm hoping it's Hamadou, to be honest with you, uh, just because of everything we've already talked about. But I think that, you know, if you could bring in a guy like that that can come in off the bench and gives you 15 to 20 and you're like, wow, that guy, he can hold it down while the starters are off the court because we see a lot of times across the league that starting unit comes off the floor and offensive production sometimes can drop like a brick. So if you have the opportunity to add somebody and a spark, and that, that's what I think Diallo brings athletically is that spark to this team, I think it could be Diallo. I really like the second unit. I know we talked about maybe there's no starters or guys that could start on another team in that second unit, but Frank Jackson, Hami, Josh Jackson, whether it's Olenek or Stewart, I don't know who's going to play the point, whether it's Saban Lee, the vet Joseph, if we stagger minutes with Killian Hayes, I don't know, but I really do like the second unit. It's going to make for a a lot of fun watching games this year because even when the starters come out, there's a second unit that's going to be fun to watch as well. Um, I have two more before we transition to around the NBA. So the biggest trade asset at the trade deadline this season that's like obviously Cade Cunningham's a trade asset but could realistically be traded who do you think the biggest possible trade asset is you know people talk about trading Jeremy Grant all the time I don't agree with it but maybe you see that Josh Jackson would be on an expiring contract Um, you know even Killian Hayes do you think it's possible we could give up on Killian Hayes that early who's the biggest what's the biggest trade asset at the trade deadline for the Pistons I think that with uh with Jackson, if he if he provides what we think that he could off the bench, uh, and gives that gives that spark, and is is one of those guys that you know that's going to maximize his minutes. I think that because of his contract, the team that's contending would love to be able to add a player like that uh, at the deadline. If there's an injury along the way, or if they're like, hey, we got we need to add one more, right? We just need that one more guy. You always see LeBron's teams trying to wheel and deal, you know, at at the at the trade deadline. So I, I really do think it would be Josh Jackson or Hamadou. I I know that Hamadou just signed a, a two year deal, so maybe it's a little bit different from the long term uh, perspective. But I I also think that Troy Weaver's not afraid. Uh, this guy, it seems like he must have a few cell phones working at the same time because <laughs> I mean the way he he turned over this roster and as quickly as he did, this is a guy that wants this thing to work and he wants it to work badly and he's willing to do whatever it takes. And I, I really appreciate that from him. Absolutely. No. And I, I agree. I think it's Josh Jackson. I think he's about the only guy on the roster unless, it, you know, Weaver pulls off a big move like you're talking about, which I don't think, you know, expect the unexpected with Troy Weaver, I think at this point, but I hope we don't trade Jeremy Grant. I hope ever, like I want Jeremy Grant to play in Detroit for the rest of his career. And obviously it's way too early for Killian Hayes, but I know that's a name that, you know, could get brought up if he's not playing well early in the year, which leads me to my last one. What player or coach I guess there's really only one coach, but has the biggest chance of not meeting fans' expectations this season? Is it Cade Cunningham? Is it Dwayne Casey with what fans are expecting this team to be? Is it Killian Hayes in his second year, or is it somebody else on the roster? The biggest chance of not meeting fans' expectations. Uh, I mean, that's that is that's a great question there. I don't think it's Dwayne Casey because I think that he's really – 
he's bought into really enjoying this process. Now, he wasn't brought here to, you know, try to groom and develop a young team, right? That that wasn't the goal. The goal was with the roster that they had when he was brought over, he was going to be the guy that was going to take them to the next level and they were going to be a championship contender. But it really seems like he's bought all the way in on this idea. Like, no, I'm going to help these young kids. I don't care about my win and loss coaching record. Like, I'm going to be the person that can make the difference in these young player, players' lives. And so I'll take Dwayne Casey off the table Cade's expectations are going to be so high <laughs> that I just I don't even know if they're attainable. So I'm not really too worried about him not meeting the expectation, because according to everybody, right after he was selected, this is the second coming of Christ. So I'm actually going to point my finger to Killian Hayes. Uh, yeah. I do think that he has the most pressure. I also think that he has the most to lose because we as a fan base of the Detroit Pistons have seen this saga before where we passed up on somebody and now we're going to constantly compare like we do it all the time with Donovan Mitchell and Luke Kennard right we know how that's mm-hmm. that saga went I think that Killian Hayes has the most riding on him because we didn't know who he was and it's one of those things I get very I get very cautious right drafting European players it works out you might think I'm crazy look at Luka Doncic look at Dirk Nowitzki uh, look at Manu Ginobili uh, I know he's not European he's Argentinian but you know you go the international route Tony Parker there are a lot of guys from overseas who come here and play but we as a fan base are still traumatized by Darko and I don't know if that I don't know if that ever leaves right not for our generation so if Killian starts to not work out and it's like oh here's another guy we didn't know anything about I know the stigma of European players has kind of gone by the wayside and well, because and of, recently with Sekou right Anthony like, oh uh, there's another that. one I forgot all I literally didn't even think about him <laughs> I forgot about him like get that away as far away from me as possible but it just happened again so you're right it's the i think it's the trauma traumatization of darko then it's seku and now it's killian and i don't think that the fan base i don't know what the expectation for him is i think that killian supporters try to you know talk everybody off the ledge but i think this is a monstrous year number two for a young man that's trying to take a lot on on this plate right now Good luck, Killian Hayes. Also, by the way, Jeremy Grant, I don't think they ever trade him. I Come in here in free agency, everything he talked about, want to play for this specific city, for this coach, for this GM. Uh, James Edwards did the big piece in The Athletic about it. He wanted to play in a city that looked like him. He wanted to play for a coach that looked like him. He wanted to play for a GM that looked like him. I don't think they ever move him. I think that relationship's so good. Uh, I think Jeremy Grant's, like you said, here for the rest of his career. I agree. I agree. I agree on both of those points. I agree about Killian Hayes, whether it's fair or not. I think... If he doesn't look good the first 20 games, I don't think he's going to get more than that. But definitely by the all-star break, I think you know it, it could be a situation that he becomes very polarizing. And especially with Cade into town, if people think he's taken Cade off the ball, then Cade needs it. It's going to be a very interesting season for the young Killian Hayes. Bryce, um, but let's go. Real, real quick, you yeah. know how people, when they ask you, like, who'd you vote for? And you're like, you're like what, why are you asking me that, right? You know what I'm saying? It catches you way off guard. And, and yeah. don't, don't put it on Twitter because people will come after you because it doesn't matter, right or left, people are going to go wild. That's how I feel like Killian Hayes is going to be like yes. midway through the yes. season. Like, you like Killian? And then, like, whether it's like, I don't know, do I want to answer this or not? Like, I'm not really, I don't know how long we want to talk about this. So I think that that's the kind of level of polarization he's going to bring to this fan base. No, I absolutely agree. And with Sekou gone, it makes it easier because that was Sekou. Like Anthony, I joined, like I said, I haven't even been here a year um, with the with the podcast and on Twitter and all that stuff. And I learned very, very quickly not to talk about Sekou because I, I didn't have enough followers and enough listeners to lose a single one because of a Sekou take. So I just avoided it at all costs. And, and you're right. Like it's starting to get that way with Killian Hayes already. So, Did you like him? Uh, Sekou? Yeah. I did. I, I, I was 
I was I wasn't upset. I wasn't upset that we traded him. I wanted to see one more year, Anthony. And and here's why I liked him though. It's because I didn't come in with Pascal Siakam comparisons and think that's what he was going to be because I came a year late. So I wasn't here when he got drafted number 15 overall and was supposed to be the next Giannis. I got here, saw it last season, saw what he could be, and I see a solid second unit role player. Um, and that's all my expectations have ever been for him. And I think he can be that. I understand why fans got tired of waiting for him to turn into this Pascal Siakam or even bigger Giannis type player. Yeah, and one of the things that really always stood out to me with when it when it came to Seku was the fact that Dwayne Casey had basically said like, no, we had to send him to the G League because like this he needs to understand he needs to like anytime you challenge somebody's work ethic. That's mm-hmm. not going to fly, especially for a youngster, a rookie coming in. Like the one thing we can't have you doing is uh, believing that because Dwayne Casey had to send you to the G League because you can't figure out how to be how to work hard. That's a problem, and I think that that this might be for Seku uh, Dumbuya, the player, the person moving forward. This might be the best thing to happen to him because maybe now it's the wake up call. It's the realization like I can't just show up. Like that's not good enough. Like guys at the NBA, they will take they will take your job. You will be out of a paycheck. Like you're you're you you could bust at any moment like and it's it's weird to think about it like that but this might be the best thing to happen for him going somewhere else they don't brooklyn doesn't know they're like hey all the other guys from the pistons that come over here they seem to be playing pretty well so yeah we'll take another Anthony, this is perfect. You you set me up perfectly for the transition. So let's talk about Sekou and the Nets and the former Pistons on the Nets because that's what we're going to do for around the NBA. So, and I agree. I, I think if Sekou had the motor, and that's so hard. It, it is such a skill. I don't think people look at it as a skill, but to me, it's a skill. And it's, it's hard to teach and it's hard to learn, I feel like, this late in your career. But if he had it, I think he could be really, really solid. Do you think he does anything for the Nets this year? Do you see him being any sort of factor for that team? And then we can go ahead and talk about Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, and that Nets team and what you think you'll see from them this season. Uh, I think limited minutes for Sekou. Uh, that's one of those things I'd really like to see how Kevin Durant uh, kind of works with him. And because, you know, being a very like sim- similar frame, you know, tall, thin, uh, you know, perimeter style players that, you know, maybe maybe that there'll be some development for Sekou because of his time spent around a guy like Kevin Durant, that they have championship aspirations. So if you're not going to do your job there, uh, which, you know, Kyrie's bound to flake out at some point and take like three <laughs> weeks vacation PTO on a guy works eight months a year and has to have PTO. It's crazy. But this, uh, I, I think that this idea that they will, they will probably improve him, but I don't think it's going to be any sort of massive impact where, you know, we'll, we'll look back at Brooklyn Nets games the way, you know, Lions fans are watching L.A. Rams games right now. Like, I don't think that there's <laughs> anything like that. Now, as for Blake Griffin, like, yeah, you see the dunk and after the guy, you know, is rolling up to the arena in a wheelchair. Like, yeah, it's, it's going to rub people the wrong way. And that's what... What what do you... I don't want to go down the Blake, Blake Griffin trail right now with, with all of that, but... Um, what do you just see from the Brooklyn Nets? Do you think they're the favorites in the East? Um, and do you think you'll see, I mean, speaking of Blake Griffin, I guess, like he did have an impact on that team. He obviously was much better than what he was showing us in Detroit. Bruce Brown had a major impact. Do you continue to, do you see them continuing to have that big of an impact? And do you think the Nets are the best team in the East? I think that the Nets are the best team in the East, but availability is an ability, right? And you have to be healthy. It just, I mean, look at what it cost Brooklyn. And then that and the fact that Kevin Durant's like, you know, big, big toenail was on the line. It changes the course of history, right? And Milwaukee's a champion because of it. Uh, so I think that if they could stay healthy, uh, you know, James Harden, you know, 
coming out of Houston. He, I, he didn't look like he was in shape. Then all of a sudden he got in shape, and I, I don't know how he dropped all that weight so fast. I don't know what was going on. Uh, <laughs> but it, I think it hurt him at the end of the season with with his legs and the soft tissue stuff. So I think when you when you start to think about Brooklyn, are they are they going to be healthy enough uh, to win it all? That's why I loved Milwaukee winning it last year. I I, I the, the, this idea of the Nets and the Lakers and these super teams and trying to poach all the talent. I can't stand it. Like I I love the middle like quote unquote small market teams, the Milwaukee's. Uh, I love Miami giving them a run uh, in the, in the bubble. Like I like that. I want the Pistons to come back. I love that Phoenix was able uh, you know to put together a quality uh, quality postseason. So for me, Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, that they'll they'll continue to do their do their job, which is limited. And I think that that's why they are successful now, right? Blake Griffin for the Pistons, we needed him to do everything for 48 minutes a night. That's just not possible. But if he can play 15, perfect. And you don't have to do everything. That's great too. Just go out there and play basketball and you get a nice check because of it. No, I agree that they were in roles that fit where they're at in their career. And then you can be successful in those roles. And and I I think it's funny. I laugh that you bring up the James Harden thing because his body transformation last year. I I saw a clip the other day. I think I was watching like the top 100 plays of this NBA season last year or something. And it must have been an early game with the Nets because he still looked um, not in shape. And it's like, holy cow, like he, like it's crazy. Like you say, I don't know how he lost all the weight and and got in shape in the middle of the season, kind of the way that he did. Um, But you brought up the Lakers, and and I think a player that's remembered more favorably by Pistons fans is Wayne Ellington. And he's gone over there, obviously, a ton of roster, you know, maneuvers in Los Angeles. Do you see Wayne Ellington filling out a, a role for that team and providing some value? I actually think that Wayne Ellington is going to be a lot more necessary for this team than everybody else seems to be thinking. Uh, I don't know exactly, you know, what this I, LeBron is best when he has the ball in his hands, right? So then they add Russell Westbrook, and it's kind of like, okay, okay that's kind of odd because here's another yeah. guy that, let's face it, in a league ba- based on shooting from distance, I love the way Russell plays. He plays at a thousand miles an hour, but the guy just is not a three point threat at all. Okay, well then Kendrick Nunn, all right, Rajan Rondo, no thanks. Like who's going to shoot the ball for this team? And that's why when they're like, "Hey, we're going to they're going to go out and get uh, Wayne Ellington." And it's like, okay, "Okay, there's there's your one option, right? There's your one option with that starting group that might include Anthony Davis, Dw- uh, Dwight Howard, LeBron, Russ and uh, Wayne Ellington. Maybe he starts because they are going to need to find somebody who can knock down shots in the perimeter because that three-point percentage of that roster group I just gave you, it's got to be like negative five, right? I mean, outside of LeBron, you're not worried about it. Like, I'm not worried about Dwight Howard's not going to shoot. Anthony Davis, sure, at times, but... do they really want him? Do you want a seven foot guy just standing on the perimeter? I don't. Russell can't shoot it. So it's on LeBron and Wayne Ellington and Wayne Ellington is a trusted sniper. And I think that his addition to that team will mean a lot to the Lakers. I think the LA fans will really like him. No, I agree. I think he's going to play a major role. And, you know, I know Wayne doesn't bring a whole lot defensively, but all the guys you brought up, you know what they can do? They can play defense and they're long and they're athletic. So I'm like, you can hide that one guy. You can find a way to hide him. Um, I know in the playoffs, you know, the other teams do a better job finding that guy that you're trying to hide, but you can still make it work with all those other guys you have on the floor. But okay, so you brought it up. I have to ask you then. Who am I? I'm sitting here in my classroom in Southwest Kansas. Who am I to judge the Los Angeles Lakers and their team building philosophy? But I just can't get on board with it, Anthony. Like, am I completely off base thinking it's just crazy how they're trying to build a team around LeBron James? 
I mean, I I would want nothing but shooters. Uh, that literally, right? I want that, okay. I want a big man to rebound and and to be able to step out to fifteen feet and get out of the way when necessary. But I don't want a big man that's going to crumble uh, under the complete change. Like Chris Bosh was so good, right? Chris Bosh in the prime of his career sacrificed. Chris Bosh in the prime of his career to go play with LeBron when you knew that one, your touches were going to be down in two, you're basically your offensive style of play is going to be alienated because priority number one is going to be number 23. Well, I guess it was number six at the time, but you get what I'm saying here. <laughs> and I, I really do believe that if I have LeBron on my team, I, I also don't like the idea in, in that, that he's basically the GM. I know it's Rob Palenka. I yeah. love Rob Palenka. He's a Michigan guy. So of course I love him. Go blue, all that good stuff. But the feeling that LeBron James is like the ultimate puppet master and wants to build his own team. I mean, the guy has gone through a ton of coaches and he was going to try to go through Eric Spolstra until, you know, Pat, when Pat Riley speaks, everybody listens. The Godfather calls you up to the office and says, hey, don't say another word about the coach. You guys better figure it out. He's my coach. I, I think that having somebody in your organization like that with LeBron is very much helpful because everybody respects uh, Pat Riley and in his body of work. I look at the roster they put together here. It makes literally no sense to me. And then you add Carmelo Anthony. And I think that Carmelo, I think Carmelo has a big year this year. I do. I, I loved agree. him in Portland, loved him in Portland because I didn't like Carmelo in Denver because of something that Chauncey had said, you know, and he just recently said it, but you could you could always see it, right? Chauncey said that Carmelo would score 15, we'd win, he'd be in the locker room, bummed out, wouldn't talk to anybody. He'd score 30 and we'd lose, and he'd be all giggly and, and stuff in the locker room. And I that really stuck out to me because that's the way that Carmelo Anthony kind of always played to me, whether in Denver or New York. It was like, hey, I'm just going to shoot it a bunch. Give me the rock. I'm going to get my 30 points. I'm not going to really play any defense, and we're going to lose because I don't know how to be a, like that team kind of centric leader. I think Carmelo with LeBron, I really think Carmelo in Portland realizing like, hey, the league gave up on me. These guys gave me a shot. I got to maximize this, and I got to be the best team guy that I can be for everybody else. I thought that was a huge change for Melo. I think he has a big year this year. I agree. I think he's going to play an important role. And, you know, props to him. You know, you, you tell that story in, in those quotes and, and you can't help like as, you know, it kind of frustrates me to hear about a player that way. But then props for him for kind of changing, you know, his course of his career and realizing and growing up and maturing and, and finding a way to find a role and provide value. And I agree. I think he's going to have a big year for the Lakers. And I don't know, they're going to make me look like an idiot by saying anything bad about the roster construction because they're so darn talented and especially LeBron James and Anthony Davis and even Russ, that they're probably still going to win it. But I just, I feel like you could probably, I just feel like you could construct the roster better. But one last one before I let you go, Anthony, and you brought up the Trailblazers and I'm, I'm kind of stretching it here a little bit with the former Pistons. You know, Dennis Smith Jr. was only here for a couple months, but he actually is on an exhibit contract with them. Um, so first off, I kind of just wanted an excuse to talk about the Blazers, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. So one, do you think Dennis Smith Jr. makes the roster and contributes in any way? And then what do you think about the Blazers with CJ and Dame? Are they going to end up having to blow this thing up or do they finally make a jump? What do you think happens in Portland? What's crazy about Portland is they got passed so quickly, right? Like they were, they were right there. It kind of felt like, hey, the Blazers, like they've got something really brewing. And then all of a sudden, I, I call it mount, like mountain high hoops, like Rocky Mountain hoops, Utah and Denver. Uh, their their division's tough, right? I, it yeah. just is, and it feels like this team just got bypassed in the blink of an eye. It was like, hey, they're right there, and poof, now all of a sudden they're an eight seed. Well, how does that happen? We well, got two teams in your division that can that, that are going to win, you know. You know, 45, 50 games like that's incredible. And it's going to be very difficult for them to because they're so 
they're so guard based. You think about like, okay, you know, Robert Covington. I love him because he won me a fantasy league a long time ago. It's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird story. Uh, but Norman Powell, uh, I guess maybe, and then Yusuf Nurkic. I kind of like him, but I, I feel like he's got uh, some some maturation, you know, to go through a little bit uh, as well because I think that he can provide a lot more if you if you check in and own your role, right? They just lock in every all forty eight minutes, even if you're not uh, on the floor. Lock in when you're on the bench. Just be available. I think that Dennis Smith Jr. can make this team uh, just because they seem to have like, you know, there might be a little bit of a depth question uh, for this squad. So I think that he can make the team. I hope that he does. I, I, I want the best for him. I wanted him to be something that I don't know that he is. And that's not fair to Dennis Smith Jr. because he's bounced around a lot. And part of me wants to know what's going on behind the scenes for a guy like is it is it always production related or is there something else because you get drafted by dallas you go to new york you're there for a few years you come to detroit you know you bounced out of here you're headed to portland like is it because nobody has enough room for you is it because you're not producing the way that they thought or is there something else and i want to speculate that there is but that's a lot of movement for a guy who's 23 years old I agree. And I wanted Dennis Smith Jr. to work. Um, and I really, I liked his game. I wanted to, again, I wanted to see him come back, but then you get Cade and Saban Lee played really well. And there's probably just not room, but you know, you bring up something really funny. I talk about this all the time. Like I would, I would, I would love to just be a fly on a wall in a, in a GM's office. I, w- I would just love to be able to sit there and listen to the conversations that has had, especially when you cu- get to like cut down day, like who are the 15 guys and, or, or in the off season when you're talking about, are we going to resign? Who are we going to offer? Like, I don't want to be a part of the decisions. I'm not smart enough to be a part of the decisions. I would just love to hear the conversations. And then you would get the insights you're talking about, Anthony, of, okay, well, this guy kind of has a bad attitude. So, you know, he's not going to fit in with the, the locker room or, he's a great veteran presence like I would just I, I wish I, that would be that's a huge dream of mine to just sit in a conversation even for a day and, and hear those things and the just little intricacies that go into every one of these decisions yeah that would be that would be phenomenal uh, I mean be like hard knocks right inside the NBA yes, front yes. office because you know we always we always focus on all of the stars right we're always you know, even with the Pistons, we're going to focus on Cade Cunningham. But what about a guy like, you know, Frank Jackson? You know what I mean? And I think that there's so many of those stories around the league that if you listen to guys who have played uh, anytime that they're on a podcast, if you listen to, you know, guys that you know missed out on their opportunity for whatever reason, right? Maybe something didn't work out in college or, you know, they were just a bust and you start to think like, okay, like, like look at Kwame. Like, I, I, I'm not going to say anything about Kwame Brown because uh, he might come after me, but he, he doesn't <laughs> seem like he's all the way there. But you think about the things that he was saying um, when in regards to Stephen A. Smith and the amount of pressure that was on him to perform and it's like man if it doesn't work out you get on a team and and things aren't the chemistry in the locker room isn't good it's a toxic situation I look at the Josh Smith years in Detroit I don't think that that was ever a great locker room to be a part of because you didn't have guys that really wanted to go out there and win every night but I think that when you look at the conversations being had, who helps us win? Not only right now, but also in the future. And is there value in keeping somebody today to move them tomorrow? That would be fascinating to be a fly on the wall. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it, it just, it, it would be so much fun. I know it's never going to happen, but I, I always think about that. It'd just be, you know, 
what I think about it with Sekou, Anthony. Why now? Why why make the move with Sekou now? Was it they were completely out on him? Did they make the move because they needed to open up a roster spot for Luca Garza? I know that I don't think that's officially happened, but there's been speculation about that. Um, you know what, what was that move? Did they know that going into the offseason? Is that why they signed Trey Lyles? All of, I mean, I know we can go down a rabbit hole, so I'll stop. But it, it would be fascinating. It'd be so much fun. And when you were talking about it, it just made me think of it again. So. Um, Man, Anthony, this was a blast. I had so much fun. I would love to have you back on. Um, but right now, I want to give everybody, because I know I didn't hit on all of it on the intro, so give everybody a chance to let you know where you're doing all your work and where they can catch you on Twitter and every all the content you're putting out. Uh, so yeah, that, Bryce. Well, uh, first and foremost, thank you for uh, for inviting me. I love the uh, love the Detroit Pistons. I got a Grand Hill jersey sitting over my shoulder right now and hanging on the wall. So it's a um, I can't wait for them to be able to get back and put a winner in there. And I think that you know El- Little Caesars Arena is going to be rocking sooner rather than later. And I think that the the, the team and the franchise are in really good shape. But uh, you could find me uh, weekday mornings on the Michigan Sports Network. We have ten affiliated radio stations across the state of Michigan and in Northwest Ohio as well. It's every morning from six a.m. to nine a.m. You can find me on. Twitter at AC Bellino and then you can find me at uh, Detroit Lions games uh, do, do the in-game hosting there for our, our you know game day productions you can find me at uh, Chrysler Center for Michigan men's and women's basketball I do the public address uh, for them and uh, where, where else am I working at right now oh the uh, University of Toledo yeah sorry <laughs> football men's and women's basketball public address there as well so it's uh, a lot of sports a lot of driving no, that's awesome, man. It's, it's exciting. I knew I wasn't going to get it all in there, so I wanted to make sure I gave you the chance. And again, I want to thank Anthony. And as always, I want to thank all of you for listening to Motor City Hoops each episode and let you know how much your support is appreciated. But on today's episode, I want to take the opportunity to thank everyone helping me navigate along the way and giving me opportunities to grow my platform. Guys like Anthony, who asked me on to his show, Detroit Bad Boys for their platform, Mike at Hoop Heads, Koo with Locked On Pistons, and so many others that I'm probably unfortunately leaving out right now thank you all of you for everything you do and speaking of coup from locked on he'll be my guest for episode 53 dropping next monday that will be an all mailbag episode so please send in all of your pistons nba basketball life random questions whatever you want to ask you can tweet those at me dm me send an email post them in the comments of the podcast or detroit bad boys website website thank you and we'll talk to you soon Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.